grace and peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. We are so glad that you are here, and you have picked a wonderful Sunday to be here, because this is Parish Sunday, which means that our deacons are hosting all sorts of food over in Tankersley Hall after each service. And I was just over there, and I don't even think I can wiggle. I've already eaten so very much. I can hardly talk, because I've already eaten so much. But I'll be there after this service, too, I'm sure. Uh, stop over there. If you're a member of the church, you are assigned to a parish, and you can find out which parish at the door so that you can meet your deacon. If you're not a member, come anyway, because there's so much food, and everyone wants to meet everybody else. You could ask at the door, if you're not a member, what your geographical region would be, and therefore what parish you would be in if you, if you were, became a member. So you can kind of find the people who live near you when you do that. But do be sure you stop over there. It's a great morning together. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we will be uh, beginning Lent with a service of Ash Wednesday on, at 7 o'clock that evening. There's also communion at that service. Our third Friday group meets this coming Friday, and they are celebrating a pre-Academy Awards evening, and it is a gala evening. You can come in your gala attire if you would like to or not, whichever way you like. It's a potluck with great music by the Laguna Contraband, and our singer that evening is going to be Ginger Hatfield. So it is a fun, fun evening to dress up if you like that sort of thing and to come and enjoy great music. We have started again this year something that you haven't seen for a year or so, and that is at-home hospitality hour. It's awe. It is an opportunity to meet people in the, uh, the home of one of our members. Debbie and Mike Regal are hosting this, and they invite you to come and bring a beverage of your choice and an appetizer to share. So the menu is whatever you bring, and we will all share it together. It's a couple of hours to just mingle and meet people. It will help us if you sign up ahead so we know how many people are coming. And all those sign-ups are actually in Tank Hall this morning with Parish Sunday. Our women's retreat the deadline for women's retreat is tomorrow, and it, you can sign up online. It will be a wonderful weekend together in Fallbrook at a new place that we have not been before at a resort, and with our resident artist, Mia Moore, we will have lots of opportunities to do great things together and also to encounter God's presence and get to know one another better, too. You sign up for that online. If you sign up, if you miss the deadline, which is tomorrow, they, the resort says they might be able to get you in on a space available basis after that, but they can't guarantee whether there will be a spot. There's also a friendship pad that is on each pew, and it's near the center aisle. We'd love to have you take that and fill it out and let us know that you're here today, whether you're visiting with us or whether you are regularly here. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. The psalmist <coughs> announces that God speaks that God summons his people from one end of the earth to the other, that God shines forth the bright light of his glory into our lives. We come to this house of God this day because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and this is the place where we gather as God's people to listen to God's word, to be shaped and formed and transformed by the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, we do offer ourselves to you. We surrender our hearts to you. You created each one of us. You know us. We belong to you. Nothing can separate us from your love. 
be present with us this morning in a special way as we worship you, singing your praises and listening to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing, church.
exalted. And so we will praise you. Sing, church. He is exalted. The King is exalted. law of the Lord calls us to confession. 
God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether it is in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Our Lord Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As God has instructed us in these great commandments, and because we have not lived in full obedience, let us now confess our sins to God, trusting Christ as our Savior and Lord. Trusting in your mercy, O God, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives all our sins, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen.
passage with you from uh, one of Barbara Brown Taylor's sermons on the text this morning, The Transfiguration. This comes from uh, one of her books, um, and the sermon is entitled Thin Places. And this is what she wrote. People try all kinds of things in hopes of encountering God. They fast, they pray, they go on pilgrimage, they beat drums. Some people follow ancient spiritual traditions and others make things up as they go along. Some go to seminary and some go to India. But one way or another, what they are all after is an experience of the living God. They've had enough explanations. The careful process of mounting dead butterflies on pins. They want to come face to face with the real thing. And they know better than to pack a net. And so our psalm reading this morning, first few verses, Psalm 50, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. And from the New Testament, the gospel, gospel of Mark chapter 9, the same story in the gospel of Matthew and Luke as well. Very important text from the life of Jesus. Mark 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.
Lord, open our ears that we may listen to you. You speak to us through many voices. You bring us into places in our lives that are indeed thin places. Where heaven and earth intersect and and connect in some special ways. And we become aware that we are in your presence and that you are summoning us, calling us to attention, inviting us to respond to you, to listen, to have our lives transformed that we might be your faithful disciples. We pray that this morning you will stand in our presence and through the word of Scripture and the word of the preacher, may you make yourself known to us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we are all in search of ultimate meaning. I am and I believe you are. We seek a purpose. And we do it in so many ways that it's hard to list all the ways in which we are seeking and yearning and longing to hear a word that will mediate to us the holy presence of the living God who is the God of the Word, who calls everything into being by the power of His Word. Let there be, and everything that there is came into being. And He breathed life into our nostrils, and we became living beings. Life through the power of Word and Spirit. And so we were made for communion, for hearing, for responding, for answering the call of God in our lives. And God has ways of sneaking up on us and speaking to us perhaps when we least expect it. Maybe that's where we're at this morning. Not fully realizing why we're here, but we're here and we're placing ourselves on holy ground where it may be that God will speak and show up once again and reveal himself to us. I wasn't a churchgoer when I was growing up. But I had an uncle and aunt who, when I would visit them on the weekend, would take me to Sunday school with them. Saturday night before, they'd get us all the kids into their bedroom, we'd get on our knees and we'd pray, and I'll never forget how surrounded I felt by the mighty presence of God, the holy God, it was uncomfortable. Perhaps a bit terrifying to be in the presence of those who believed in God and who modeled their faith with their children and larger family. They had various radio programs that they would listen to, and one of them was Charles Fuller's Old Fashioned Revival Hour. And I would hear the old man's preaching voice, the voice of God that mediated the love of God to me over the radio, and I carried that memory with me so that in my early years in, in college, 
I would sit in my car, my new car that my dad had given me on a Sunday afternoon so that no one in the dormitory would know that I was listening to such a program. And I'd listen to Charlie Fuller preach and I'd sit in the front seat of my car this, and it became a holy place, a thin place in my life where God spoke to me same place that I had kissed my girlfriend the night before. God has a way of sneaking up on us. And the fire of heaven can burn in the most unlikely places. Years later, I was in Fuller Theological Seminary and got to know Charles Fuller. And whenever I heard him say, preach the word... Fire dances across my mind. And I'm reminded of, of the call of the word of the Lord that reached out to me and to millions of others around the earth through his program. And he touched me. But it wasn't Charles Fuller, even though someone said he was the Arthur Godfrey voice of Christian radio. He had this voice that was compelling and it would seemingly come right out of the radio. And wherever I heard his voice, it was a thin place where heaven and earth overlap and interconnect and the holy God was present. Years later, in a very difficult time in my life, when I felt abandoned and I didn't think I had much of a future in ministry. In fact, I was headed in another direction after spending four years at university and four years in theological seminary. I almost decided to go to law school. thought I perhaps ought to take a few courses in government and did so. The first course I took, there was a, a young professor who just received his Ph.D. His name was George P. Smith. And he was a basket case in some ways, and he was a brilliant man in others, but we formed a friendship. He invited me to study and to write with him, to do a book with him, and it was like a burning bush experience. Every Sunday night in Claremont, in his home, we took some of the best literature in the history of philosophy and theology and legal thought, and we worked on it. And that whole period of my life, together with my relationship with Gary Demarest at the La Cunada Presbyterian Church, became a burning bush in my life that brought healing. And I heard the voice of God speaking to me again. I love you. And I've called you. And I'm holding you. You are mine. You're not at this place, as mysterious as it may seem, by accident. From time to time, I get telephone calls from friends, from dear friends, with whom I've shared life and who have touched me profoundly. And sometimes the message they leave for me when I'm not there on my voicemail, I save. 
This morning I listened to the one remaining voicemail from my friend Lynn Wilder. Deneen called me last night and said Lynn died yesterday. I listened to the voice again this morning, that southern Kentuckian accent, apologizing for not being at my last birthday party. Tell me how much he loved me. Listen to that voice, the same voice that I'd shared so many times with, and Al-Anon, and speakers' meetings, and AA, and knowing the impact that man has had upon thousands and thousands of lives across the country. I found myself being comforted by Deneen last night, his wife. And voices from the past. Voices and faces and friends and relationships that we've cultivated in many different thin places. I was reminded in all of this that the Bible is filled with stories of people encountered by God in thin places, in unlikely circumstances. I remember Jacob running from the wrath of his brother Esau, arriving at a place where he slept with his head on a rock and he had a dream I give everyone a nightmare, a head on a rock all night long in Palestine. And he dreamed of a ladder going from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending, and it scared him. He said, this must be the house of God, and I'm out of here. And in the middle of that whole thing, the voice of the Lord came to him and spoke to him, Jacob I want you to know that you carry my promise. I will be with you. I will keep you. And I will bring you back to this homeland. You are mine. Jacob built an altar and he named the place Bethel, house of God. And years later, coming back from the Northland, where he'd gone to escape Esau's anger, he found himself alone at the Jabbok River, alone in the night. And throughout the night, he wrestled with a man whom he came to understand was the angel of the Lord, really the presence of the Lord. And when the sun was rising, he said, bless me before you go. And the angel touched him in the hip, and he, he walked with a limp the rest of his life. And his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, one who strives with God, who wrestles with God. One of my trips to the Holy Land, I picked up a, a sculpture of, of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, symbolic of Israel's wrestling with God, which is the story of your life and mine, engaged in a dialogue Listening, answering, running, lost, yet found. This was Jacob's life experience. It was Israel's experience. 
I thought of Moses at Mount Sinai where he saw a bush burning but not being consumed on the side of Mount Sinai, thinking that he'd escaped the wrath of Egypt. And he went to check it out in curiosity, and as he drew nearer, he heard a voice speak to him, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes, your own holy ground. And Moses discovered it was a thin place. And there he received this call to go down to Egypt to be God's agent of delivering his people from Egyptian slavery. There he learned that God's name was I am who I am. And Moses went. And later he would find himself atop Mount Sinai in the presence of the glory of the Lord with the Lord passing by on the backside and he'd hear the Lord proclaim his name, the Lord, the Lord, I am who I am. Moses came down from that mountain with the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And he was, he'd been there in the presence of the Lord for so long, for 40 days, that he was aglow with the Spirit of the living God. And the Israelites looked at him and they were so terrified that they asked him to put a veil over his face. That mountain, it was a thin place. 1996, we climbed that mountain, some of us who were there at Mount Sinai. If there's ever a place on the face of the earth that's a thin place, it's that surrounding area. The sky is so big and the mountains are so jagged. Got to the top of Mount Sinai and there were some Arab boys there and they gave me some rocks from the area. I think I paid a few pennies or something for them. But they were broken open and I brought them home and as I was reading from Barbara Brown Taylor's book, I, went, I retrieved one of those rocks with a geo in it broken open and I used it as a paperweight to keep the book open to that sermon on thin places. The text this morning that we've read from Mark chapter 9 is a story of such a place. And it's such an important story. The context is that after seeing so many miracles, healings, walking on the water, calming the storms on the sea, casting out demons, finally at Caesarea Philippi, up to the north of the lake in Galilee, Jesus took his disciples on a retreat and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they gave their answers, well, you're maybe Elijah who's come back or you're who lived hundreds of years before or you're one of the prophets or you're John the Baptist, who knows exactly. But then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter made that confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, 
Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you set free on earth will be set free in heaven. What a tremendous affirmation of Simon Peter. He very quickly went to his head, and Jesus began to tell his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. There he would be rejected and be murdered and die and be raised on the third day. And Peter's response to that was, God forbid this will never happen to you. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like men and not God. If you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to lose in order to find. You have to die in order to live. And a few days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the three key disciples with him, up the mount. We don't know if it's Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor. It's one of those mountains in the middle of the night. He took them up to pray. And while he was praying, he was transfigured. And we absolutely have no words for what these three saw. But they saw the face of Jesus and the clothing of Jesus glowing bright with the glory of the Lord. And then suddenly they saw two other people with Jesus. And they knew one was Elijah the prophet and the other was Moses the lawgiver. How do you explain that? These guys lived hundreds of years before. But there they were alive with Jesus. And Luke tells us what they were talking about. He's the only gospel writer who does. They were talking about his coming exodus. His departure in Jerusalem where he would suffer and die and be raised on the third day in fulfillment of both law and prophets. Peter said, Lord, this, this is a good place for us to be. Why don't we just build three dwelling places, three tents, three houses, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah, and then we will stay here forever. This is the end of history. And about that time, the cloud of God's glory that had overshadowed Jesus, Moses and Elijah moved over Peter, James, and John. And out of that cloud came the voice. This is my son, the beloved in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Get it, that it's necessary for the Son of God, Israel's Messiah, 
to be rejected and crucified and to be raised on the third day for the salvation of the world. This is God's story. It's the biblical story. It's not the story that the disciples wanted to hear. They did not understand it. But they found themselves overshadowed by the mighty presence of God who was speaking to them, who was summoning them to attention, who was shining the light of heaven into their darkened lives for the sake of transforming them, even as Jesus was being transfigured before them. So the punchline this morning of the message is simply this. Listen to him. Give your heart to the love of God. I got checking back on the images and emblems of John Calvin, our forefather in Geneva, 16th century Protestant reformer, the one who shaped the mind of the church in many ways. You know what the image, the icon of John Calvin was? It was an extended hand like this. And in it, the hand holds the heart. The symbolic of the offering of the inner life and heart of one who reads scripture, who knows that the scripture is the primary means through which God speaks to his church. As it is read, as it is preached, as it is studied, this is a word of truth and love and grace that comes to us. And it is transformative and how desperately we need it in each of our lives and in the life of the church and the world. And we're called to be here at the center of this community Offering up our hearts. And this will be the theme of Ash Wednesday. Of receiving the heart of love for God. In response to the message of his love that God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That we might live. Pray with me. Merciful God, you surprise us in the many circumstances of our lives and the friendships that we've enjoyed. And often we're not aware of the holy places through which we move and the holy relationships that you have brought into our lives and the fellowship of your church as the newspaper article said this week about religion in Laguna Beach and the churches with only 10% of our population ever going into a church, that this is the best thing going on in Laguna Beach. Here we connect with what is real and we are changed from one degree of glory to another in the presence of the living Lord.
We thank you. Touch our hearts this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. We receive our morning offering. Let us stand and we'll sing that first verse together. The Holy One is here, church. Let's sing together, Be Still. Be still for the presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. Come back. Come
Almighty God, you have put in our hearts such a longing to experience your presence, to know you and to see you. We rejoice at what we can see. We marvel at what we cannot see yet. Loving, protecting, challenging, nurturing, you strengthen and transform us. Knowing that many in this world are in need of your powerful intervention, we offer these prayers on their behalf today for the nations of the world, for our nation and its leaders, for those affected by the natural disasters in Ventura, Santa Barbara, and Montecito, for our community, for the Church Universal, its mission, and for our local congregation and its ministry, for persons with particular needs, hear their names as we speak them aloud before you. Lord Christ, we bring you these gifts with great thanksgiving as we look in expectant hope to the day of your great glory and wait with eager breath to join with all creation in your praise. And so we bring to you the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
life and in death we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. May the very holy presence of God be alive within each of our hearts. And may others see in our faces and hear in our voices the very word of God's kingdom love. Amen.